Hello and welcome to Instant Transmission, a podcast where we discuss everything Dragon Ball and the crazy health benefits of giving your brain a sunroof. Dastardly droids have finally revealed themselves and mankind is once again in peril. Our heroes rush to action, Goku stepping forward to take on Android 19 in single combat. Things look great until they don't and our hero begins getting pummeled will somebody else step forward to save the day will draining goku's power make the androids unstoppable how many punches to the face is too many punches to the face grab your human charger and plug that bad boy in as we get ready to jump into the android arc part two i'm your host dayton and once again i'm joined by my co-host todd hi Tonight, we'll be covering Kai's episodes 61 through 67, which picks up after the events of the time-traveling Trunks, Vegeta's son from the future, warning them about the android apocalypse. Our heroes trained and eventually met the androids in open battle. Tonight's episode of Instant Transmission picks up with the struggling Goku beginning to lose his battle to Android 19 and having his energy drained from him. When Piccolo steps forward to help, a key blast through his torso from Dr. Jiro stops him from entering the fight, leaving only Krillin, Yamcha, Gohan, and Tien left standing. And with all of that covered, was there anything you wanted to add before we got things started, Todd? No, I think we can kind of jump right into it. All right. Well, we jump right into episode 61, which is... Give me just a moment here, actually, if you want to go ahead and pick this one up, because I don't have it pulled up. Professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we make mistakes. But right? We are jumping into episode 61. This one starts off right where we left off with Goku getting drained by Android 19, and it jumps straight into the action, even before we get our title card, funny enough, with Vegeta coming in, kicking Android 19 right in the face clear off of goku and i mean this is this is a great intro it kind of moves from vegeta kicking android 19 and then moves into the opener and our title card <laughs> which that title card would say no chance of victory against number 19 super vegeta arrives late <laughs> <laughs> What a fantastic intro to the show. And I know you love yourself some Vegeta. So this probably got you going. This is peak Vegeta too. Like Vegeta when he is on top is my favorite Vegeta to watch. And it, it kind of gets right into it here. Uh, I mean, this is this is kind of a weird situation for us as the audience, right? Because we know where Vegeta was last that we left him. He was not, I mean, he was no, he wasn't a Super Saiyan. He wasn't anywhere near as strong as a Super Saiyan or Freezer or anything like that. And we kind of get the impression at this point that these androids are at least as strong as Frieza. Uh, I mean, they've beaten up Goku. Uh, Trunks is unable to fight them in his timeline. So... I feel like that's kind of the question in everybody's head is like, what the fuck is Vegeta doing? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, to make things even more confusing after saving Goku, Vegeta announces that the, the pleasure of vanquishing Kakarot belongs to him and him alone. So he's not exactly showing up as the good guy. And we also have another reveal where another, maybe not so good guy, Piccolo, opens his eyes and reveals that he was feigning his injury to look for an opening. So we've got 
two of Goku's biggest enemies, both unseen, kind of saving Goku? I, I don't know. This is so funny to me. I also love how unceremoniously Vegeta just kicks Goku's limp body for <laughs> Piccolo right. to just catch it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just And Piccolo even just stops his body moving in midair and lets it slump to the ground. Yeah. Goku is just like treated <laughs> like a bag of trash, of very nice trash. They don't want to spill the bag. That's right. They, they do need their bag of trash for later. Uh, but this kind of jumps into our confrontation now with Vegeta and Android 19. And there's a little bit of banter back and forth as Androids 19 and 20 kind of express. I mean, we we watched your fight, Vegeta, against Goku. We already know your moves. Uh, we already have calculated for your power. And you are not going to be any problem for us to take care of. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, one thing we all pretty much know at this point is that they they haven't seen any of the events that have unfolded on Namek, right? And so there's kind of this this gap in their information. And I mean, honestly, there was a gap, I think, in our, our viewers' information because things take a real big twist when we see Vegeta tighten his fists and we see him become awash with this yellow and gold energy and suddenly it erupts from him and a third super saiyan is born right before our eyes i i love this but i also we have to talk about this we do so first off i'm glad that they at least mostly kept the this line intact from the original and it's basically Vegeta asking Android 19 is an is a robot or is an android capable of experiencing fear. I love this line. I do, however, feel like the line, I think it was written just slightly better in the original. The delivery is roughly the same. What I don't like here is the music more than anything i think though the this is vegeta's first super saiyan transformation or at least on screen for us the music right before vegeta's transformation sounds like some sort of like weird bouncy western music and then there's there's no music for his transformation (laughs) okay all right i'm glad you said that because i was thinking back and i didn't remember any music so i was trying to figure out what you because i remember the build-up and it's interesting right and then it happens and i feel like there should be some more bravado to everything that's happening in the situation i feel like there's i don't know there's something missing that that the original just did better and i guess the lack of music is probably it it's absolutely there's they went from goofy music to no music during his transformation. And then once he finally like transforms, they put in some like some of the Kai's like upbeat combat music, which is is fine. It's not anything to write home about, but. I it felt so awkward to me watching that transformation with no music. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I feel like if I was making Kai, that you almost want Vegeta to kind of have like his own theme music, right? Like his own Vegeta's doing something badass, and we've got this rip that's specifically for him. And 
I mean, actually, we briefly talked about this after recording an episode. There's tons of different music that was made just for Dragon Ball throughout the history of Dragon Ball. So we know they're not afraid to go out and get something made, and we know that they already have a big selection. So for me, it's it's almost kind of inexcusable for them to not at least have a music choice for this transformation. Yeah, and and there's a whole a whole mess of problems with Dragon Ball's musical history, uh, with some plagiarism and other things. Oof. But the I mean the original Funimation dub with the Bruce Faulkner score does exactly what you said, Dayton. It has a Vegeta theme and motif. There is a Vegeta song that plays through his transformation. And it's fantastic. It, it, it gives it a very, uh, I mean, you just feel pumped up watching him transform with that music playing in the background. So just use that one. Just take that one. Just, just copy, paste, call it a day. Everyone's happy. I wish they would. I'm sure that there are some licensing issues with all of that bullshit, but well, it, 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 it's so frustrating to watch it done <laughs> worse. Well, we're going to move from the music controversy to what I think is just a controversy, which is they kind of go through and they reveal how Vegeta was able to achieve Super Saiyan. And I'm going to describe it very quickly. Um, he trained really hard and got really frustrated and punched a big rock. (sighs) (laughs) I'll say this. The manga gives us nothing about how Vegeta transformed. Yeah, he basically just shows up on the scene and he's like, bam, bitches, I'm a Super Saiyan now. (laughs) Uh, So the, the anime tries to give us something it's not good uh and it's i think you and i talked about this a little bit before dayton kai cuts this part short i almost feel like they could have kept a little bit more in about vegeta's struggle in terms of trying to transform and like his gravity training and everything that he kept trying to do uh but any interpretation of Vegeta getting Super Saiyan is not a good one, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's it's tough because Goku's transformation was kind of the the point of the whole, you know, Namek trip to some degree anyway. It was kind of, that was the, the legend that was put as soon as they made it to Namek and as soon as Vegeta got there, that's put at their feet, right? We have the legend of the Super Saiyan and we see Goku's entry and that build up and people thinking it. And it's, you know, you spend how many hours with that build up for Goku's transformation? And then you get to Vegeta and it's just like, uh, he trained really hard off screen. I don't know, some big rocks were falling and he got mad at one. Also, he wanted it like really bad. So we gave it to him. Yeah, I I will say Kai at least tries. They They give Vegeta some dialogue basically saying that he had, once he once he committed to and uh, let in those feelings of self-hatred and self-loathing that he was not the first Saiyan of this generation to reach the pinnacle of the Saiyan race, the Super Saiyan, that Goku had beat him to the punch. That was kind of like once he accepted that, that was his breaking point for turning into 
a super saiyan so i like that they at least try to give him some sort of reasoning i can accept that especially since i didn't realize that the manga didn't didn't give them anything to work with and that's such a huge question but i guess on the flip side too um the goku sort of stumbled into the super saiyan transformation it probably gets easier once you've seen it done once you kind of especially vegeta who's an expert fighter a very experienced fighter and somebody who's really keyed in just uh, he's he's smart he's brilliant when it comes to everything combat related so being able to see someone in that transformation i'm assuming he was able to pick up some context clues and put it together himself yeah absolutely and we're about to see exactly how smart vegeta is as we jump into the confrontation between Super Saiyan Vegeta and Android 19, which starts off with 19 firing off these eye lasers at Vegeta that Vegeta is just easily dodging uh, and then turns into 19, actually landing a few solid blows against Vegeta. Uh, and we kind of get the impression that Vegeta is just trying to test out his newly found Super Saiyan powers. Yeah, Vegeta absorbs the entirety of Android 19's attack, and then we see his head kind of get knocked back from one blow as it leans back forward with, with this just wicked smile on his face. And this is where Vegeta delivers a blow of his own. And this is, I mean, the the way they animate this, the... Vegeta reaches his fist deep into 19's chest, just, oh, a heavy, just impact, where you can see the outline of his limb going through the back of Android 19. I mean, it's phenomenal. And then oh, we see another strike from Vegeta where his foot just kind of like, drives deep. I mean, it's it's hard for me to describe this because these are some of the more weighty blows I've seen in all of Dragon Ball. I really like these. This, I mean, this is a short fight, but the little bits and pieces that we do get in this fight are really good. Uh, I mean, we get to the point where Vegeta is, now that he's kind of tested uh, his durability, he's easily dodging any sort of retaliation attacks from Android 19. He's knocking 19 into, like, into the ground, into the rocks. Um, you can see 19 almost getting frustrated uh, as he gets sunken deep into a crater in the the landscape. And then Vegeta lands immediately next to him, at which point 19, thinking that he's got Vegeta by surprise, latches on to his arms with both hands. And we know already that 19 has those nodes in the palms of his hands that can absorb energy so he's like hey i've got you and now i'm going to suck your energy dry yeah and vegeta just cools a cucumber just smirks and when android 19 says that he's never gonna let go vegeta goes oh really and this is where vegeta leans back and places both of his feet on android 19's face and then pushing back with all of his might and as the struggle continues, it hits a climax where uh, and the android's grip gives way along with his hands. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it's almost really that his his grip is is tight and hangs on. His wrists give out. His wrists do not stay connected to the rest of his arms. Uh, so Vegeta kind of moves away with these hands and wires at the ends of the hands dangling from his wrists. I love this scene. Like, if you want to talk about fight choreography, this is one of the craziest scenes for fight choreography, probably in Dragon Ball. I, Vegeta is already like a compact man. So when he basically just squats on 19's face and gets to that full extension to just rip his arms off, fucking wild. It's amazing. Well, Vegeta's not done yet. He kind of lowers his head a little bit and you see that just wicked grin on his face as he begins this death march, this slow plodding pace towards the now unarmed or unhand unhanded <laughs> Android, <laughs> the disarmed Android who <laughs> actually starts panicking and starts clawing, or I guess there's no fingernails, just trying anything, clawing with his stumps at the side of this crater, trying to get away from Vegeta, trying preserve his own life as Vegeta's just eating up this moment as this android just runs away from him in pure fear. Yes, machines can feel it. Yeah, this is the payoff, as Vegeta says. I guess androids can feel fear. And then we get the debut of Vegeta's yes! Big Bang attack. <laughs> yes, rising from the ground, Vegeta announces his Big Bang attack. And we see the Android 19 scurrying across the desert landscape. And he's eventually met with this colossal key blast from our Prince of Saiyans and is eradicated from this earth. Nothing's left but his, well, not so living head. Yeah, just his round head rolling across the landscape. Uh, this is... I mean, this is this is a beatdown, right? This isn't even much of a fight, honestly. But I love Vegeta when he's on top, when he is just like absolutely superior to his opponent and he is just relishing in his superiority. <laughs> yeah, and he's getting to really take his Super Saiyan powers out for a walk right now, right? This is every... The legend is living up to what it says in the tin and he's just, he's enjoying his moment. Yeah, and as we kind of come to the end of the episode, Vegeta turns off the Super Saiyan, uh, and he has a little bit of a, a dialogue here with Android 20 as he's basically taunting him. Uh, Vegeta saying, if there was any time for you to attack me, now would be the time, given that your buddy sucked a bunch of my energy away. And 20 is kind of like, what kind of a tactic is this? Like, why would he goad me into attacking him if he felt like he wasn't going to win? And this turns into Android 20 running away, basically just darting away, trying to escape, getting out of there. Uh, as, as Piccolo kind of gives us the analysis of the whole situation being like, if 20 actually attacked Vegeta, Vegeta would have been screwed. But Vegeta played that perfectly by goading him into attacking and getting him to retreat. Yeah, and with the android running off, Vegeta takes the moment to request a, a sensu bean 
from Krillin. He's requesting a, a charge up and Krillin kind of has this hesitation because he's still not really sure if Vegeta's a good guy. He kind of questions it for a moment, but Piccolo, the voice of reason kind of pipes in and says, Hey, like he's on our side right now. You might as well. And so peace is made. And now the team gets ready to go out, clobber the, to clobber the other Android who's currently running into hiding amongst a bunch of big rocks. And this is tough for our Z fighters, right? Because they, we already established they can't sense androids energy. So they basically just have to rely on sight. Uh, the Android 20 already has a head start on them. So they're basically going to have to run or fly through these rocks and hope that they can catch sight of, of 20. Uh, I think that pretty much wraps it up as our Z fighters kind of join Vegeta in their uh, chase after Android 20. Yeah, that leads us straight into episode 62, Piccolo's Assault, the missing number 20 and the future gone issue. And this is where the search kind of picks back up, but Vegeta's impatient. He wants the fight right now, and he decides that the best way to speed this up is to just level this rocky terrain into nice, flat wasteland. And flying up into the air, even against the advice and pleas of all of his fellow combatants, I'm not going to say friends, that feels a little too strong, Yeah. Vegeta decides to lob a giant key attack towards the ground. And this is where Dr. Jiro, or Android 20, pops out of the rocky landscape and actually absorbs the entire attack. Vegeta, kind of caught off guard by Jiro revealing himself like that, tries to give chase again, but... Once again, he's unable to sense the android's energy and loses track of him. Yeah, there's a few things I want to talk about here, too. So first off, we might refer to him as Dr. Jiro because we have the power of foresight. But they still, our Z fighters still have not figured out that Android 20 is Dr. Jiro yet. So we'll we'll touch on that point when it comes up. Uh, secondly, I don't like this moment and the way that it's handled in Kai. I, I, I think the reason this is ruined for me is because of Dragon Ball Z abridged. And it, it for once, it's not one of their jokes. For once, it's one of the ways that they rewrote the scene because in DBZ abridged, Vegeta says after throwing this key blast out, uh, something to the effect of, I knew you couldn't, I knew you couldn't wait to suckle on my Super Saiyan teat, but it, 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 he basically shot the key blast out to draw Android 20 out of hiding. Uh, whereas in this version in Kai, Vegeta's like, oh shit, he absorbed my energy. It's like, we just established that Vegeta is a genius, that he's very good at fighting. And then he's like, oh no, these androids that can absorb energy absorbed my energy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe you just forgot, all right? It's, it's you know, it's been a long day. I mean, you can kind of, you might be able to chalk it up to, you know, like you said, Vegeta being impatient and stuff, but it's it's just frustrating that one second Vegeta is portrayed as a, a genius at fighting and the next second he's kind of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, uh, I agree with you, but... I'll hand wave it a little bit just because this kind of stuff seems to happen all the time in Dragon Ball where characters just forget what other characters do. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you're not wrong about that. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. And well, 
with Dr. Jiro kind of pumped up a little bit and back in hiding, the Z fighters decide that their best approach should be splitting up because that literally didn't bite them in the ass two or two episodes ago when Yamcha got a, <laughs> a hand through his chest, but th they decide to do it again. And here, Android 20 is kind of lying low and waiting for one of them to become isolated. And his first target that he finds on his own is actually Piccolo. And we see him sneak up behind the Namekian, grab onto him and place a hand over his mouth and begin draining his energy. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm hesitating because this is another moment where I'm kind of like, Dr. Jiro is supposed to know all of their abilities, but he didn't really account for Piccolo being able to communicate telepathically because that's exactly what happens is communicate. Uh, Piccolo communicates with Gohan telepathically to be like, Hey, come help me. I've got this Android absorbing my energy. And then Gohan gets a read on Piccolo's fading energy and then slams Dr. Zero off of him. It's I'm, it's always weird when stuff like this happens for me, like the whole telepathy thing, or I don't know, mind readings. It's just like these weird little powers that pop up. And I don't necessarily mind that Piccolo can do it. Cause I'm pretty sure Kami can do it. And they're part of the same being, right. but I don't, I don't necessarily like that. That's how he did it. It just, that felt just a little weird to me, felt a little hand wavy to me, but at the same time, there could be a precedent. I don't know. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Like we've seen Piccolo communicate uh, at the very least through King Kai. We've seen, like you said, Kami communicate with like King Kai or other people. I think Kami's communicated with Goku or other people um, telepathically. Goku's communicated telepathically, too. That yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what the rules are in this, but just sometimes you can do it. Me neither. But for Piccolo to be able to do it, it, it's it makes more sense than Goku being able to do it. That's for sure. <laughs> it really does. It really does. But it's it's always just one of those things where I'm just like, OK, like you can just brainwave to other people. But at least Gohan flying in was kind of cool. Yeah, I do like Gohan getting the save on Piccolo. That's kind of fun. Uh, but this turns into the rest of our Z fighters all collecting uh, around Android 20 now with Piccolo saved and Krillin providing the Sensu Bean to give Piccolo his energy back. Uh, Piccolo says, hey, Vegeta, leave this one to me. Don't interfere, which is interesting as we are going to get to see how our Namekian friend measures up against these androids. And don't worry, he's actually taking off his entire, was it 50 kilos of weighted training gear? I think, yeah, 50 or 100 kilos. <laughs> <laughs> so Piccolo disrobes his, his weighted gear, claims the fight for himself, and we see very quickly in this fight that Dr. Jiro or Android 20 is quickly caught off guard by Piccolo's speed and power. And this is just an ass whooping as Android 20 just gets beat around. Completely one-sided, right? I don't even think uh, out, outside of Android 20 getting this the sneak attack on Piccolo and draining his energy, I don't think Android 20 lands a single blow. I don't uh, think so either, which is really cool because at this moment, 
Piccolo's power level is probably not that far off from Vegeta's, considering how they both were able to deal with these androids, or at least it feels that way. I'd like to like to live in that reality. I mean, I think there's even even one of the other Z fighters makes a comment saying like, man, Piccolo's damn near as strong as a Super Saiyan. And Dr. Jero is also thrown off. He's like, my calculations sh- show that you should not be anywhere near this powerful. Uh, but of course, Piccolo reveals, well, we've been training for the past three years in preparation to fight you. Uh, and it, it gets to a point where Piccolo grabs Dr. Zero's hand uh, as Dr. Zero tries to get another sneak attack and absorb his energy. And then Piccolo full on chops through Dr. Zero's arm and removing one of those hands with the drain energy drain nodes. Yep. And it's Dr. Zero is realizing kind of the error of his ways at this point. Um, also kind of happening in the, the, periphery of this battle we see that future trunks has arrived back in our timeline and is heading towards the battle but on his way to the current battle site he notices the disembodied head of android 19 and we see his eyes kind of open wide in fear and he mentions that he does not recognize this android I love this. This is this is good storytelling for the audience because we get to see uh I think in a, I think it's dramatic irony, but we basically get to see Trunks having this realization that this isn't the same android from my time. So we're going to start to like put those pieces together and be like, man, things have really changed from future Trunks's timeline. Yeah, and when trunk arrives on scene he kind of just pretty quickly shares this information and piccolo even drops his his guard for a moment in the middle of his fight with android 20 and we see the entire group kind of having a collective mental crisis balma arrives unseen for some reason with a baby uh, cool i guess i mean I've always been torn about this moment because on one hand, I kind of get it. Like Balma has always been adventurous. She's been on a lot of dangerous adventures with Goku in the original Dragon Ball. And she did as by her own words, she did go to Namek and never got to lay eyes on Frieza. So I could kind of see that sticking with her at the same time. She has no business being here. Leave the baby at home. Leave the baby at home. Like, you've got a family and infinite money, infinite sitters. Leave the baby at Why are you bringing a baby to a battlefield? Yeah, that part is fucking wild beyond imagination. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I... Bulma's there. Um, and it's at this point that things quickly go off the rails. When Android 20 screams out that even if he's defeated, 17 and 18 will avenge him and then blows everything up. Yeah, there are a few key little details in here that are going to be important moving forward, too, because as Trunks arrives on scene, Piccolo doesn't think to censor himself and says, hey, Trunks, what are you doing here? At which point Vegeta catches that detail And this is when the pieces all click for Vegeta as Vegeta's like, wait a second, 
this guy from the future who is also inexplicably inexplicably a super saiyan even though there's only two and a half super saiyan or two and a half saiyans alive in this timeline now i guess technically another half uh this guy's my son. He's my son from the future. He looks like him. He's got the same name. He can turn Super Saiyan. Uh, so Vegeta is now in the know here, which is going to be important. Um, I think the there was one other detail here that I'm forgetting to uh, basically just Dr. Jiro, I guess, using Balma as a way to escape the scenario. I do love um, the moment they took with Vegeta kind of putting everything together and just his face, just like freezing up in the shock on him when he finally figures it out. I, I actually enjoyed it. I really like that too. And I, I feel like it almost gives you the impression that he's going to have a slightly different reaction to what's going on than he does. <laughs> but I think that, uh, I think that about wraps that one up, right? It does. Sorry. I, I did remember the other detail, though, because th at this moment, we do get Balma. Uh, this is the reveal of Dr. Jiro, because Balma is the one who sees him. She gets to see her android, but she sees him and she's like, oh, what's Dr. Jiro doing here? I. Yeah, she does name drop. I do think they have the they have a bigger discussion about it, though, in the next episode. Yeah, I, I like that she's the one who recognizes him, though, because they're both like Dr. Zero and Balma and her father are all big name scientists. So it makes sense that they would all know each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that leads us into episode 63, though, which is Pursue Dr. Zero, the search for the mysterious laboratory. And this picks up with the dust settling from Jero's giant explosive key blast. And the good doctor is nowhere to be found. We see that Trunks saved Bulma and uh, his baby self from the blast. And we see him kind of turn his gaze towards Vegeta afterwards. And he's kind of pissed. And he actually confronts Vegeta because Vegeta did not lift a finger to save anybody in his family. He would have let all of them be encompassed by the blast. I love this moment so much. I Vegeta even goes so far as to say that Balma and Trunks, like baby Trunks, are are weak and they're only in his way. Now, I the point that I was talking about before where Vegeta realizes that future trunks is his son, this, this sentence about baby trunks being weak and being in his way is a deliberate jab at future trunks, calling him weak, calling him in Vegeta's way. And this is almost like clearly because Vegeta he had his pride hurt when Trunks showed up, turned into a Super Saiyan, and easily dispatched Frieza, the tyrant who controlled Vegeta his entire life. So this is almost Vegeta feeling inadequate uh, and kind of trying to get that dig in at Trunks to get back at him for that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster. I think both for Vegeta and kind of for me as a viewer, because I I was caught off guard when I saw this the first time. I was like, what the 
like, why is Vegeta being such a big jerk? And then I kind of piece some of that together. But I mean, we'll see as we go through this episode. This isn't like the only instance of this happening. It's it's a wild ride. So it's something that we're going to kind of keep an eye on. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but fortunately, Future Trunks was on the scene to save Balma and Baby Trunks. Do you know what Vegeta uh, this- said before he flew off? Oh, yeah. I, I forget the exact line. Do you have it down? He, he leans in to Trunks and he rebuttals to Trunks, t- you know, telling him, you know, you, you would have let your family die. You would have let us all die. You're a, a self-absorbed person. And Vegeta kind of scoffs at him and he rebuttals in this quiet but very serious and threatening voice. Never question me, whelp. And then flies off. Uh, and it like even the animation he like flies right into his face and is it's very it's very aggressive it's very like vegeta's uh, when he does it he's standing kind of like over top of trunks all of it is like superiority complex like vegeta trying to make himself the the dominant figure in this relationship yeah it's wild especially after all everything that's happening you get this this crate, like, honestly, it's insane. This, like, family drama happening in the middle of this giant world-affecting scenario. It's, and I mean, it's happening so fast, too. You hardly have time to collect yourself. It's really good character writing. I love this a lot. But I think this kind of results in us getting the the longer discussion that you were talking about, about Dr. Jero as Bama's like, hey, I saw pictures of this guy you know in in some of his work for you know his his science for you know whether it be robotics or the red ribbon army or whatever the case was uh none of the z fighters including future trunks knew that that was the case but they're all like oh well doctor's row is clearly an android now that's interesting yeah, so we have this once living human scientist that was turned into an android. And on top of that, um, like you said, Trunks did not recognize Jiro uh, or Android 19. And so Piccolo demands that a description of the androids from his timeline be given. And this is where we're told that Android 17 is a young man with black hair and an orange scarf. And Android 18, a young woman with blonde hair down to her shoulders. And this is the description of the two androids that wiped out humanity, or almost all of humanity, in Trunks' timeline. What do you think about this detail, Dayton? What do you think about the fact that Future Trunks went back in time to warn the Z Fighters about these androids and never gave them a description? I I actually buy it, and I buy it because Trunks has only known the two androids. Why would you really need to give a description? Like, when they show up, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a world-affecting event. You'll know who they are, right? Like, that's not, yeah. that wouldn't seem very important. There, I think I'm of two minds of, of about it. Like on one hand, I could kind of see like, you know, obviously you should give them a description. Like they're going to need to find these guys. But at the same time, like you said, that, that makes sense too. Like when shit starts getting blown up, you'll be able to find them. Uh, in addition to the fact that, I mean, Trunks going back in time to meet these people who are almost like 
legendary to him, including his own father, who he's, you know, never really. Yeah, never met. that's the whole situation is probably just overwhelming. Meeting your father who you never met, meeting your the young version of your mother and also trying to make sure you're very careful about the information you give out because you're not sure how it might affect multiple timelines. Like there's a lot to keep track of. And on top of that, Trunks is what, like 16? Yeah, 17, I think. Yeah. So, it's... I mean, I can imagine a 17 year old being like, oh, I can't balance all of this, but I'm, I'm going to do my best. I think I agree with you. I've definitely seen some people like kind of poke fun at this detail on the internet before. And I'm kind of like, I think there's a lot of ways that it could be justified, honestly. And if, if let's say we don't get the Android 19 and 20 and we just see the androids from Trunks's timeline, does anyone catch that he never gave a description? I think that's the only reason why people bring it up. Oh, you're saying... If 17 and 18 had been the ones who showed up in South City rather than 19 and 20. Yeah, like it's it's only an issue because they made it a plot point. I don't think anyone catches that really without like looking under a microscope that he never gave a description. No, you're right. Yeah, nobody would, would acknowledge that even. So, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I mean, in his mind, again, it was just going to be the same two androids. You don't need a description if they're busy blowing shit up. It's like you're I don't need to describe them. They're the two that are killing humanity. Those ones. (laughs) Yeah. Going to be pretty recognizable. Uh, At at this point, it's um, they decide that they're they got to go meet Giroux back at his lab. They've got to head this thing or head this thing off at the pass. Right. Trunks wants to make sure that the androids are never woken up. Same thing with Piccolo and the others. Vegeta has different plans, though. He wants the doctor to wake up the androids. He wants this fight. His Saiyan blood is just calling for it. I love this because like you said, Vegeta was kind of getting a a bit of a test run with his new Super Saiyan powers. And I think Vegeta even goes so far as to say himself, that android didn't do anything for me. Like that wasn't a good enough test of my abilities. If you're telling me these androids 17 and 18 are stronger, that just makes me a true Saiyan want to fight them even more. Yeah. And all this is said, Vegeta's almost kind of holding his pride above Trunks's head at this point, right? Talking about his Saiyan blood, he even makes a comment, I believe along the lines of, I can tell you're not a true blooded Saiyan or something like that kind of, And this is also clever because it kind of alludes to him kind of knowing what's going on, but also it's a jab at Trunks once again. And he flies off towards his death match, just kind of showing his disdain towards Trunk and what he views as cowardice. Yeah. Again, I love this. I love the dynamic between Vegeta and Trunks, especially because Trunks has lived his entire life in this apocalyptic world where the androids are terrorizing everybody where he's helpless. He's lost all the people that he cares about aside from his mother. And he's here trying to help that same thing not happen. And yet Vegeta's so busy with his fucking super Saiyan head up his ass that he won't listen to Trump. Yeah, he's got that power high. He's got that super Saiyan hit and it's just that high is not going anywhere. It's great. I I love this so much. So Trunks chases after Vegeta. Vegeta even goes so far as to try to like outpace him. And then Trunks turns Super Saiyan. And Vegeta's only thought is, 
oh, well, he does have my blood. I guess that makes him not completely worthless. <laughs> it's his connection to me that makes him worth anything. <laughs> oh, that's such a Vegeta thought. That is the most Vegeta thought. Like, unbelievably egotistical and just like, man, perfect characterization for Vegeta. <laughs> oh, God. Well... Gohan, unfortunately, is kind of taken off scene at this point as he collects Bulma, uh, Baby Trunks, and Yajirobe, who I forgot was even there, but he was. <laughs> um, he collects all of them, and he's going to go take them all back home. So Gohan's off scene at this point. Um, we see we've got a couple little scenes where Trunks is kind of following in tow with Vegeta, and we see him kind of working through some daddy issues. He's known Vegeta for, like, an entire day, and he has daddy issues. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, at this point, the, I mean, we, we kind of cut to a few scenes. We get to see Goku is, is alive, not exactly alive and well though, as the heart virus is kind of racking his body. However, he has now taken the antidote to the virus. So hopefully he'll be up and fighting with the rest of our Z fighters soon. Are we going to bring up the fever dream? Oh, God, we can if you want to. <laughs> so he has these fever-induced nightmares from the heart disease, but there's an interesting like little bit where some pinkish ooze stuff pours into reality, and it grabs Goku by the neck, and we see this pinkish ooze stuff kind of lift him up, and then this wicked black smile appears across its face. Do you Is that... Are we see in the future here, or is this uh, or, or is this nothing? Yeah, and I, I definitely thought the same thing. Where it's like, it looks like Boo. It looks Come like on. Boo. It looks like. like Boo. But do we know? Did, did Toriyama was he planning on Boo after this, or was this just something he threw in into there? He, I can tell you, at this point in the story, he didn't have Boo planned out. Now, he might have had a character design in his back pocket for Boo, but uh, even the cell arc is was almost like improvised. It was, you know, tampered with by uh, Toriyama's editors at the time. And so it is like a wild ride because 17 and 18 were supposed to be the final bad guys in the Android arc. But the editors didn't like the character designs for 17 and 18. So that. Well, we'll find out as we move forward, changed course very Wild. quickly. Wild. Oh, well, yeah, definitely read back up on that stuff. I'm, we're going to have more questions about it in the future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely talk about that moving forward. But, but uh, Goku uh, is having fever dreams, but we flip back over to Piccolo, Tien, and Krillin as they all arrive at North City and they begin searching the mountains for Dr. Giro's lab. Krillin points out that it's cold at least twice. That's important. Um, they also decide to split uh, their sensu beans amongst each other and begin searching the landscape. Let's split up, gang. Again! I, I I agree with you. This is ridiculous. I will give them one good point in that at least they have the sensu beans on hand and everybody has some this time. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry. The plan is we're going to raise our power levels to alert each other if they find anything or need any help, you know, against the guy who drains your power. 
Yeah. I don't know. This is, this is wild. I mean, what it ends up turning into is our, our boy Krillin gets caught off guard by Android 20 and gets just the, the very briefest of ass whoopings. Uh, also gets kind of talked down to by Dr. Zero, which I'm like, man, Krillin don't deserve that. <laughs> I was like, man, you can kick my ass, but don't be a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, because Piccolo and Tien and the others are are very close by, Dr. Zero doesn't have time to absorb Krillin's energy or finish him off. Uh, he basically darts off towards his, his laboratory and Krillin is left to follow him easily enough. Yeah, Krillin thinks for a moment that he's going to call for help, but he opts against it, thinking that maybe he can use this as an opportunity to just follow Jero back to his lab. And yeah, uh, that's where this episode ends, unless you've got anything else to add. No, I think we can move on to the next episode. Which is episode 64, number 17, number 18, and The Artificial Humans Awaken. So. Our mad Dr. Giro arrives finally back at his lab, but he notices that Krillin's been in tow at this point, but it's too late. He doesn't care. He's back, and we see him just go straight into his laboratory. He's not worried at this point. Uh, Krillin raises his power level, and we see the Z fighters begin to gather in front of Dr. Giro's front door. And this quickly turns into uh, it cuts to Dr. Row inside of his lab. And we can see these capsules, human sized capsules with numbers 17, 18 and one open that has number 19 on it. Uh, but Dr. Row wastes no time in opening up these capsules and activating Androids 17 and 18. Yeah, and we finally get the reveal. We get to see both of them young and quite slender and small, actually, which is not really what you expect, right? Um, both of them step forward, and you can tell that they almost look identical as far as body structure. And they swear their loyalty and say apologies for Dr. Giro for some loyalty issue they had previously. And Jero's ecstatic. He's over the moon. The reprogramming worked. That is until we realize that 17 and 18 have been feigning loyalty at this point. And when the good doctor lets his guard down, the device he was using to control them is swiped from his hand. And we start realizing that these androids are actually not under anyone's control. I really like how... I like in this version how much 17 and 18 commit to the bit of like, yeah, we're totally under your control. Like the reprogramming worked. And then as soon as they have the remote, they're like back to, yeah, we figured out that this remote turns us off. Uh, we're going to break it. And also fuck you. <laughs> so yeah, once they have the remote, they start doing whatever they want. Right. Actually, once they get the remote and destroy it, they start doing whatever they want. And our Z fighters who are gathered outside, they're kind of overhearing this mutiny. They put down their defenses like they were going to bust in and take out the good doctor and stop him from doing whatever he was going to do. But they overhear all this bickering going on and they kind of listen to it unfold for a moment. 
Well, that is until Vegeta steps in. Yeah, because Vegeta shows up on scene and Vegeta's like, you guys aren't going to destroy those androids. I'm about to go fight those androids. And he gets ready to blow open the door. Trunks says, this is the beginning of Trunks saying the exact wrong thing. As Trunks (laughs) says, no, there's no way that we can beat them right now. At least wait until Goku is better. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hit the Goku button. Oh, yeah. Shouldn't so, have done that. <laughs> Vegeta takes that moment to immediately blast the door open. And we now have our Z fighters uh, in confrontation with androids 17 and 18, with Dr. Zero kind of begging and pleading for his androids to kill the Z fighters. Yeah. And we see the mutiny on full display at this point as the androids are not giving Dr. Jiro the time of day. We see 18 even decides to add another twist to Trunks's timeline by awakening even another Android, Android 16. So at this point, how many androids did, does Trunks not know about? Is that, isn't that a bit in, uh, and Team Four Star, do I hear five? <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, it, it, they just keep racking up, right? Um, right now, we've already got, I think, three androids that Trunks had not accounted for between nineteen twenty and sixteen. Uh, also, we get Doctor Zero's reaction to seventeen and eighteen, trying to awaken sixteen. And it is, uh, it, it is very, I mean, it, it's fear. Like Dr. Giro is saying, don't wake him up. If you wake him up, it will doom us all. He is a failed experiment. I'm going to completely reprogram him. I wanted to ask you here, Dayton, what do you feel, especially with the power of foresight, how do you feel about Dr. Giro's reaction here like why do you think he felt so strongly that 16 was a a failed experiment and was going to kill them all see i i still don't have a strong opinion about that because i'm trying to put some of this together in my head what what is the purpose of 16 in in the grand scheme of things because we we kind of already know where the power level of all these androids really lie, right? And we kind of understand their purpose as well in the grand scheme of things to some degree. But I'm wondering, I don't know, is are there some other tie-ins that I'm not putting together correctly? I'm just, I'm really not sure about it. And I'm not sure if honestly (laughs) if waking up 16 really made a a big difference in the large picture anyway yeah i mean not in terms of you know power level right yeah it there are just some really interesting details here because it i know team four star likes to make fun of this this point because when we actually get to see 16 it doesn't really give us the impression that 16 is like some world destroying threat. There's also an interesting little detail in here where 17 says, my sensors indicate that I'm stronger than 16 is, which I'm, 
I'm just vastly curious about that. Like, because again, we know moving forward that that's not the case. And why do his sensors show that? Did Dr. Zero deliberately program that into 17 and 18 to show them that 16 was weaker than them for some reason? Like, it's super interesting to me. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I have a lot of questions. I don't know if that was the correct line of dialogue to use in that moment. Um, it feels a little misplaced. I'm, I think my brain kind of goes into overdrive trying to figure out why he would say something like that. Um, I mean, something in the back of my head says that it might tie in with, um, maybe some other experiments that might be coming down the road. I'm not sure because we, all this is kind of a rush job, right? Dr. Juro wasn't really ready to let these androids out. He's made it clear that he wasn't like the programming wasn't complete. Their personalities weren't, they still had some kinks in them. This was a desperation move to let out 17 and 18 at this moment. So I don't know what his grand scheme was uh, with all of these androids, but it's definitely not whatever's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. His plans have completely gone into the shitter. Well, they're about uh, to go even further because when he threatens to shut them down and 17 kind of quips back, well, we destroyed your device, so you can't do that. Dr. Giro says probably the worst thing he could in this moment and says, well, I guess I'll build another. And it's at this point that 17 kind of looks back with this dark demeanor and we see 17 kind of at lightning speed delivered just a brutal kick to the side of Dr. Giro's head that removes it from his own body. And everyone who's here at this point watches Dr. Jero get publicly executed right in front of them. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is a big deal, right? Like these guys, we've seen Android 20 is clearly, or Dr. Jero is clearly powerful. Uh, maybe not as powerful as full power Super Saiyan Vegeta, and maybe even not as powerful as Piccolo but not weak by any means 17 dispatched him you know with two strikes and it you know was very little effort whatsoever this kind of turns into trunks seeing these monsters unleashed on another timeline and just losing his shit like i'm not gonna let this happen to this timeline as well as my own I have to say, I, I was disappointed by this scene, too, because the delivery from the the voice actor here, it doesn't give a lot of weight and oomph to what Trunks is feeling. It's just kind of like Trunks says the line and then fires off his big key blast. But I feel like Trunks would be angry, like screaming in this moment. And also the music does not hit home like it does in the original. <laughs> well, I also think that um, in in the original, uh, the moment that Trunks announces his his actions, that he's not going to let this happen to another timeline and then goes nuclear. It feels like it happens, I guess, at a spot that just makes more sense. Whereas in Kai, it feels like they kind of let everything play and draw out, draw out a little bit more, especially in Kai where things happen quickly. And then he just kind of launches the attack. It doesn't, I don't feel that same 
urgent need to get rid of these androids. I don't feel that same level of, I guess, PTSD that Trunk had, Trunks had in the original. Yeah, we're not given as much time to kind of sit with it uh, because of the pace of Kai. So, yeah, I, I can kind of see what you mean. I just, I remember seeing that scene as a kid and just feeling the emotions from Trunks. And we don't get that here. So I was a little bit bummed out by it. Yeah, well, Trunks gets his his pound of rock as he blows everything up, except the uh, the three androids he wanted to blow up, which I think we mentioned this uh, before the show. The dialogue is better here because Trunks doesn't mention, oh, that was my most powerful blast. <laughs> yeah. In the original Funimation dub, he says, that was my most powerful blast and nobody should be able to survive that, which makes absolutely zero sense given the fact that he comes from a future where he cannot defeat the androids even with his most powerful blast (laughs) Mm -hmm. so anyway they saved us from that shock uh but what we're shown next is the reveal of android 16 who's this huge hulking orange-haired brute sporting the ugliest green and black tights slash battle armor set i've ever seen Hey, man, that thing is gorgeous from the 90s. <laughs> I don't even think it looked good then. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, they wake up their friend and then they all decide that they're bored and they might as well go kill Goku. Yeah, our Z fighters are kind of confused as they're basically just left there. Uh, they're trying to kind of figure out why the androids would still adhere to Dr. Zero's commands, even though they clearly killed and rebelled against Dr. Zero. <laughs> yeah, they should. They're not under anyone's control at this point. Why would they want to go kill Goku still? But that's what they decide to do. And so, yeah. Vegeta races off after them again. Trunks gets in his way again. And this time, Trunks has delivered a pretty heavy blow to his gut for his efforts and trying to save his dad's life. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I love their little exchange because, again, Trunks is trying to convince Vegeta, hey, we need to wait for Goku. And Vegeta even goes so far as, I mean, Vegeta refuses to call Goku Goku. He calls him Kakarot, and Trunks is like, who the fuck? Oh, Goku. Um... But Trunks is, has pushed the limit too far here, such that Vegeta lays hands on him and is like, I will not be second fiddle to that peasant Kakarot, and I'm not going to be ignored by these androids. <laughs> so racing off, uh, Vegeta follows the androids to a spot where they decide to stop to steal a car for some reason, because it's fun. <laughs> and Vegeta shows up and we see his just ego in full force as his bravado is, I mean, it's peak Vegeta. He's talking to them like they're utter garbage. They decide to give 16, the Android 16, a chance to step forward and fight Vegeta. He passes. So Android 18 steps forward and we got ourselves a death match here, folks. Yeah, this I'm excited to get into this as we get the trash talk going between Vegeta and the androids. And 
I think we kind of move forward into the next episode as we start the fight between 18 and Vegeta. Yes, which is episode 65, Acute Face and Superpower, number 18 versus Vegeta. And this one starts off with a quick little flash update of Goku. Uh, he's starting to look a little bit better. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we get back to the, the fight between Super Saiyan Vegeta and Android 18. And they start off with a, you know, quick little jab and a throw and a little key blast to kind of tickle the pickle at this point, as both combatants kind of seem impressed by each other's strength. Yeah, it's it's interesting hearing 17 on the sidelines just kind of be like, Vegeta's way stronger than Dr. Jero anticipated, and he's even kind of giving kudos to Vegeta uh, and there's a, a brief pause in the, the fight as Vegeta's like, well, since I can't tell how much damage you're taking with that infinite energy you have, guess I'm just going to have to blow you away. And he fires off a key blast at 18, who at this point is standing in the middle of the road with a truck behind her. I have to point this out because this is the wildest version of censorship that I've ever seen as Vegeta blasts at 18, 18 jumps out of the way. Vegeta annihilates this truck that has somebody in it. The guy is honking his horn to get 18 out of the way. And then immediately following the blast of this truck getting destroyed with the man in it, you hear the same man in his voice just say, Ah, my truck! I laughed so hard i i i laughed so hard that i'm glad they did it this way because <laughs> that was a scene that just i <laughs> i hope they don't ever fix it that's the most official version out of all the versions to me. there's okay there's not even be... a character on the screen who to say it it's just the smoking debris and then ah my truck <laughs> let's be frank there's no fucking way this guy is alive. <laughs> like, Vegeta murdered this man. Come on. And no. so... No, guy was like, he just murdered a truck that day. No one died. <laughs> like, I watched the original. There's no dialogue from that guy in the original post-blast. They basically were like, yeah, but we can't have murder on screen. Like, Vegeta didn't kill the guy, so he's got to say something. <laughs> let alone we did just see uh a a guy get his head kicked off and then crushed by an android literally yeah. the same episode but that was okay because he was part robot oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the censorship in kai is just absolutely wild to me sometimes this is the funniest one that i've seen so far it affects nothing to me so like because they also what killed how many people on that island when Dr. Giroux went all key sprinkler on it? Like, how many people do you think died there? This one guy in a truck just... Oh, it's so good. Yeah, but we actually saw this guy on screen, so now it's important. Oh. It matters. Okay, all right. Yeah, we knew that guy. You can't just let good old trucker die like that. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shoot. So... Sorry, I got I got derailed. Where were we at? Sorry, <laughs> I had to point that out. Uh, the the fight basically kind of continues between Vegeta and eighteen. Uh, eighteen gives him a savage 
savage headbutt. Um, this is kind of the, I think, the start of this fight going south for Vegeta. Yeah. Um, after, and I love this headbutt, by the way. Android 18 kind of turns into a torpedo and just flies through the air at lightning speed, striking Vegeta hard on the, well, they strike the Prince of Foreheads on his forehead, and he has this big, bloody <laughs> gash here now. And we see the blood kind of ooze down and drip over his eye as he scowls in anger. And this is where Vegeta decides that he's going to respond in kind with his own rushing strike. But what looks like should have been a pretty heavy hit home, a different angle on the strike shows that 18 actually prepared for the attack and brought a knee up in time to actually make Vegeta impale his own torso on 18's body. And as he goes to slump forward from the impact of the hit, we see 18 kind of touch his forehead and push him back up to his feet as the Saiyan's almost standing there in, in shock from the pain. And then we see this open palm fist just come over the side and knock Vegeta into the immediate mountainside. Yeah, this is, I mean, the fight choreography here is, is it looks top good. notch. Yeah. As this kind of turns into the rest of our Z fighters showing up on the scene, uh, 17 on the sidelines is kind of doing some, some chit chat and some bartering saying like, hey, if you guys interfere, you're going to have to deal with me. But if you let Vegeta fight, 18 and don't interfere we don't have a problem <laughs> <laughs> so uh everyone kind of agrees to this and 18's battle continues forward um we see both of them at like the fight reignites and they're both exchanging blows uh 18's clothes are getting torn um both of their egos are getting bruised from all the trash talk but <laughs> piccolo is looking on and he points out that the battle is obviously one-sided at this point, and it's not one-sided in favor of the Saiyan. He's basically stating that Vegeta is, he's getting worn out. And we already have been told anyway that the androids have unlimited energy. And so even if, let's let's just say if seven, or if 18 and Vegeta were at the same level, uh, 18 stays at that level where Vegeta is going to get worn down over time. So 18 clearly has the advantage. And this, again, this fight continues to move south for Vegeta uh, as it gets to a point where he eventually gets knocked into the rocks. He charges at 18 and she gives him a vicious kick dislocating or breaking his arm as his hand is turned the wrong way, not the way your hand should turn and just kind of hangs limp. Yeah. And this is, you see the pain in Vegeta's eyes as the weight of the attack drives into him. And I love watching the arm go from that weird bend to just limping lifelessly at his side. And you can see the shock on Vegeta's face. And there's this just howl of visceral pain after this attack is delivered. And this is where Trunks screams out, seeing his father writhing in pain like that. And he brings up his sword and charges into battle 
trying to save his father from what would be a gruesome fate. Yeah. Trunks transforms into Super Saiyan, slashes down vertically at 18, trying to defend Vegeta. Uh, 18 brings up a forearm to block the attack and shatters the edge of Trunks's sword. Yeah. Which and point... I mean, this is bad, right? Trunks is a, is a Super Saiyan. Vegeta's a Super Saiyan. And both of them seem like they're probably in a very bad spot, especially when 17 makes good on his deal and charges in, knocking Trunks hard into the ground, basically defeating the Super Saiyan in a single blow. Yeah, that, that's a big deal, man. I mean, Vegeta has put up a pretty good fight, uh, but this turns into... All hell I mean, breaking loose. <laughs> yeah. Piccolo gets knocked out. Tien's being choked by 17. Vegeta actually goes, almost tries to go to the aid of Tien trying to attack 17, but 18 grabs Vegeta by the ankle, halting his momentum. As Trunks is just getting ready to get up to aid Vegeta, 18 chucks the Super Saiyan into the other Super Saiyan and topples that Super Saiyan tower into the rocks as Trunks drops out of his super saiyan transformation kind of unconscious for the moment yeah and i love where this ends up where vegeta's laying on the ground kind of battered and beaten and we see 18 kind of walking over and she eventually places the heel of her foot on vegeta's one good arm and we see her slowly start pressing down twisting and digging her heel into the saiyan's good arm until it's no longer a good arm. Yeah, our Super Saiyan, our, uh, you know, Prince, who is now, as far as he understood, back on top, now has two broken arms. And I also love the detail here where this, throughout this entire fight, is the first moment that Vegeta's Super Saiyan transformation finally drops. Yeah, it's, I mean, you could probably tell at some point it was more pride keeping that form going than anything else. It's, that would be admitting defeat at that point. And I think that's what that was. Dropping out of that form was him tapping out of the battle. I mean, he is so, like you said, he's running on that Super Saiyan high. He's he's running on that high of just being powerful, being back on top. I don't think he wants to, you know, drop out of that form for anything and yeah, his his pride is fueling that that transformation right now. But he drops out of it, which all of our Z fighters, except for our boy Krillin, are knocked the fuck out right now. <laughs> yeah, and Krillin is shell shocked. He's kind of shaking, and he's looking on. I don't blame him. If if two Super Saiyans were clearly no match for these androids, what the hell is he gonna do? And he kind of yelps, attracting the attention of these mechanical monsters who now stand before him. But they don't have any interest in fighting. They actually ask him to give out the sensu beans that they know he has, which is kind of a big reveal. But they, you know, they've studied their fighting styles. They also know about the sensu beans, but they want him to, to deliver a message. And I think this message is targeted at Vegeta because they want them to know that they'll gladly take them all on again. And 
They discuss their plan to go out and cause trouble until Goku finds them. They, they're they egging them on. This is kind of a big bragging point for them. They don't need to hunt anyone down. It's up to them. It's up to our Z fighters to stop them. That's how big their ego is. This is super interesting to me, too, because 17 and 18 are leaving all of them, leaving all of them alive, all of the Z fighters in this moment. I wonder in Trunks's timeline, we'll never get the answer, but I just wonder, did 17 and 18 in that timeline toy with the Z fighters like this? Or did they immediately like no messing around, just murder every one of them? That's a great question. Cause even in the history of Trunks movie, it's kind of glossed over, right? It's kind of, this is where things are at after the death of all these people. The the only one we really know about is Gohan. And even then, it, they do almost have some joy in making Gohan suffer. They It seems like they don't always go for the throat. They want to be entertained. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a combination of things where, like, it is a bit of a game to them, and they, they get an entertainment out of fighting these, you know, strong guys. But I think it's more like you said, it's less the fight that's interesting to them and more being superior to these humans or, you know, even Saiyans, whatever the case is. Well, before the droids blast off to find Goku, Krillin runs over and actually pleads with the droids to give up their evil plans. And he even brings up the fact that Dr. Jarreau is dead. He's gone. They're not under control anymore. They, they can do whatever they want. They can be good guys. And the androids unanimously agree that, no, they're not going to be good guys. But Krillin is rewarded with a kiss on the cheek from Android 18. So that's cool. Uh, but uh, outside of that, there wasn't really much success. And the androids decide to, to go find a nice, densely populated area to draw attention at. Yeah. And maybe there's maybe there's not a lot to talk about for this point here yet. But I know how much you like Krillin. Uh, how do you feel about Krillin receiving the kiss from 18 here? And this kind of turning into a bit more of a a bit of a crush for Krillin. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I feel like in the original, they tried to make Android 18 give some sort of emotion behind doing the kiss thing. And Kai, it, it felt very out of the blue, very just, it just kind of happened. So actually, even in uh, DBZ Abridged, she even makes mention that, oh, well, you're kind of cute. <laughs> like, there's something there. I don't know if Kai's, interp Kai's interpretation might be the worst out of all the interpretations of this specific scenario. I think for me... I And I, I, I think I largely agree with you. I think for me, part of that is... I haven't, at least so far, I haven't liked Kai's interpretation of Android 18. Uh, they, her, her voice actress has changed for any number of various reasons. Uh, but I, I don't like, and this may or may not be the voice actress's fault. Uh, the, I don't like the interpretation of like the, the kind of like cold, almost like lifeless delivery that a lot of Android 18's lines are given. They, they do try to make them feel more like 
like 17 and 18 more like robots and Chuck Huber as Android 17 always delivers a great performance. Um, but it feels very different from the, what I would say it was like a more sassy kind of playful 18 in the original dub. Yeah, I think I do think I like that version better. Um, actually, one thing I will give props to for Super is that I think their interpretation of the androids was probably the best, at least with the voice acting and the delivery. Um, even if their roles in Super weren't really that great, I feel that the way that they delivered the voice lines in Super, and you can tell that there's almost like this refinement to the the way the androids speak at that point. I like Super's uh android voices the best out of all the the ones that i've heard um and it's probably you said 17's the same actor right through through the whole thing yeah um, it's chuck huber I, I think just by the time you get the super you can tell he he's got it down it's even more refined and and kai it sounds fine i like that i recognize that as 17's voice 18 was very shocking to me to hear for the first time i was caught completely off guard and I'm not going to judge it too harshly yet because I'm so set in my ways for how I think Android 18 should sound that I don't want to be too much of a critic on this, but I don't like the, the, I want a little bit more menacing in my Android 18's voice. I want a little bit more, I don't know, like there's something evil or something off or something like I want to kind of question that voice a little bit more than I do. I don't, the current rendition doesn't evoke very much emotion for me. I don't know how to describe it, but I like that kind of, kind of threatening serious voice that Android 18's had in the past and future at this point. I feel the same way. That's I, I think you're kind of touching on the, the, the detail there for me too, is that Android 18 just has a little bit more color, like sassy liveliness, to her voice um not necessarily just her voice but like the the delivery and maybe the way that the character was directed in the other ones or the other renditions uh and it just not hitting the same for me maybe that'll change moving forward because we haven't seen a lot of 18 so far but that's true and even even in this battle we didn't get very like there wasn't even a ton of emotion to get out of a voice acting performance and so we know that because we've seen the future, we know that there's a lot of opportunity in the future for for that performance to really take center stage. So we'll we'll see what the actress does with um with Android 18 going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that pretty much wraps up that episode and takes us to the next one. Yes, which is episode 66. Oh boy, this is a long name. <clears throat> the time has come to become one again. Piccolo's decision for the ultimate power, and. Krillin rushes out to give the down party sensu beans. Um, everyone despairs. Vegeta flies off in rage. Piccolo tells Trunks to just give it up this time. It's pretty much pointless to try and stop Vegeta. Um, and Trunks tells everyone that the androids in this timeline are even stronger than the ones from his own. Oh boy, things are looking great. Yeah, absolutely. We do cut briefly to Gohan delivering... Balma back to her home along with Yajirobe and then Gohan quickly dipping out because he wants to go check on his father and see how he's doing. Yeah. And 
with things so bad, Piccolo kind of becomes the voice of reason for uh, everyone sans Vegeta that's currently still here. He tells the group that they need to just hide Goku until he's better. And then um, Krillin picks up on the fact that Piccolo told everyone else to do that and wants to know what Piccolo is going to be up to since they're all friends, right? And they shouldn't keep secrets from each other. Well, <laughs> Piccolo does not like being called a friend, I guess, and decides to scream at everybody about how it's just an alliance of convenience and he still has plans for world domination, then throws a key blast into the ground and flies off angrily. So we had to talk about this. I even watching this in the original Funimation dub when I was probably a teenager, I this moment was so bizarre to me and I did not understand it at all. Dayton and I have recently finished watching the original Dragon Ball. So we've got Piccolo and his father, King Piccolo's full story fresh in our minds. There's actually a moment here that we kind of glossed over where Tien laments the fact that both Vegeta and Piccolo are their two most powerful fighters with Goku down and out. And he's kind of like, I feel kind of uneasy that those are our two fighters oh, that we're relying on. And you were literally on the other side of you were on the other team for a while there. You should know better than anybody that people can come around. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But it, it, it <laughs> it's a good nod to the past that we're like, Piccolo's kind of been helping but is he really a good guy? Like for anybody who's watched Dragon Ball Z, just Dragon Ball Z and not the original Dragon Ball, it's almost hard to really remember that Piccolo was a bad guy. Cause we're just kind of told that at the beginning of Z. I, so for me, I agree with the sentiment. I don't know if I agree with the execution of Piccolo going all out like that especially since we, we know he's changed a lot as a character. And I have to believe that to, to some degree, his fusion with nail has to have influenced his personality to some degree. Um, but at the same time, I can rationalize in the other way that he knows the decision he's about to make. And I think for me, that's more so what prompted that reaction is, is, Yes. This is a big decision and he's not comfortable talking with people about it. So, you know, this is a distraction. Screw off. Like that's that's the flip side of the coin. And so that's absolutely believable because the decision that well, we'll just go ahead and say it. The decision that Piccolo's dealing with right now is whether he wants to fuse with his other half, which is Kame, because they were both born from the same being. He was the evil, or I guess the son of the evil that was expelled from Kame. I really like, too, Krillin is kind of the one who immediately pieces all of this together. He's like, look, Piccolo's flying off towards Kame's lookout. And even though Piccolo hates Kame, this is, this is his last resort. He's kind of like, I need more power. I need to help, <laughs> admittedly, probably going through his head, I need to help save my friends, save the world instead of take it over. Uh, and so I'm going to do the one thing that I 
absolutely do not want to do and it's merge back with kami and being a, a a being who was spawned from pure evil can you imagine how disgusted he would feel in himself knowing that he's going to make an ultimate sacrifice to help the world oh you you know that probably just like tickles his spine in a bad way it's fucking wild i mean honestly i think that this is the the completion of piccolo's arc in turning to becoming a good guy, basically, uh, he he absorbs quite literally the good side of himself once more and is, like you said, is doing this to save the planet, save the people that he now clearly cares about. This is like this is the full change for his character. Well, that full change is going to have to park it for a little bit, because when he arrives at the lookout, after an awkward greeting, um, Kame actually refuses to f- uh, fuse with Piccolo because uh, they have not yet determined that the androids are an apocalyptic threat to the world. They actually haven't really done anything that evil yet. And on top of that, they actually spared all the Z fighters lives. So they really haven't shown any precedent that would say that this fusion does need to actually happen. Yeah, and I mean, he's, he's not exactly wrong. And I mean, you know, like Trunk said, maybe if Goku gets up uh, between all the Super Saiyans and the not yet quite Super Namekian, they could beat up all of the androids. So Piccolo pops a squat and just basically is complaining to Kame about how, wow, I guess we're going to wait for, you know, all these people to die and all these bad events to unfold before refuse. That's great. That's awfully guardian of the earth of you. Well, the androids, uh, don't worry. They're doing some real evil stuff while all this is going down. They, um, they steal a car. <laughs> hey man, it's theft. That's, that's against the law at most <laughs> places. I don't, it's kind of part of me thinks that they're doing these hijinks because they're, they're probably they're they're just like Dr. Giro, right? They're probably built from from humans that are young, and so they're doing immature things. So because they go out of their way to talk about how they're young. And so I feel like they're doing young things that young people would do. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, we've already kind of seen, uh, having watched history of trunks, the androids they get bored like they're they're trying to find ways to entertain themselves and this is kind of the start of that right when you are the most powerful beings on the planet like you got to find ways to entertain yourself with that somehow Mm -hmm. well at this point trunks krillin and eventually gohan all arrive at goku's house and the news is given that the androids are you know, woken up and they're coming for Goku and they need to pack everything up and take Goku to somewhere safe, which I guess is Kame house. Cause where, where's the second place they would look if he's not at his own house. Kame house. (laughs) So that's where they decide to go. And I think that wraps that episode up unless you got anything else to add. No, I think that takes us into episode 67. Which is, one more time machine? Bama unveils a mystery. And we kind of get this moment where they're flying Goku off on this plane that they got him on. 
and Trunks, Krillin, Gohan, Yamcha, and Chi-Chi all more or less discuss multiverse theory um, for a little bit. Uh, and they asked Trunks what his mission was while using the time machine, because obviously none of these things happened in his timeline, so nothing he does here actually benefits him. And I actually like this answer. I think this is actually a fantastic answer. And it's that he traveled back in time, so that way he could utilize Goku to either find a weakness in the androids, that way they could exploit it, or maybe even bring Goku back to his own timeline to help defeat the androids. Yeah, and it's there's actually uh, another answer on top of that, too. And I, I like that part, but he first starts out by saying that him and his mother, future Balma, they will just feel better knowing that there is a timeline out there where the earth is not ravaged by these monsters, where people do not have to be killed and be hunted by these androids and suffer at the hands of them. They'll both trunks and Balma are like, we just want a universe, any universe where they don't have to deal with what we've dealt with our entire lives. But I, I agree with you that I like that Trunks gives an additional answer on top of that because that's that's not a great answer in and of itself. It's it's nice to hear that Trunks wants some sort of solution to the problem in his timeline as well. Yeah, especially since like that's a lot of resources to spend on on I something that doesn't really, when people are still currently being hunted and killed in your time, like there's still a chance in their timeline, right? Like it's slipping away. It's dim. But if you've got resources and you've got somebody who can at least fight, why would you not dump every resource possible into finding a solution? And so I buy, you're right. I do like the idea of kind of the worst case scenario. We made another timeline better. I like that as kind of in, an auxiliary benefit. It's a, yes. a secondary benefit of, well, at least, at least there's this, like, even if we don't save our timeline, which is our primary focus, the secondary effect is still, we still feel good about that. There's a timeline where these damn androids lose. Yes, exactly. I like that altruism there, but, uh, they're also very pragmatic. <laughs> yeah. Well, trucks even takes a moment to kind of contemplate whether traveling to this timeline even made a difference. Everything is so screwed up. The androids are stronger. There's more of them. Um, and I do like that he's kind of comforted by all the Z fighters on the plane with him. And that's, I can only imagine that that's not an experience he really gets in his own timeline, actually having friends like that. No, absolutely not. He has his mother, but that's, while future Balma is, you know, an excellent character, an ex excellent well, I character. I heard he also has a girlfriend in the future, you know. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a weird situation, but yeah, he, yeah. Uh, I don't even, yeah, I'm not going to touch <laughs> on that because uh, Super made that a whole hot mess. But So, so anyway, the androids uh, are driving around in a car. <laughs> yeah th honestly this whole episode is a little bit weird in terms of pacing it's it really a, is this is probably one of the weirder episodes as far as pacing there there's like there's a lot going on and also not, not a lot yeah it's uh, androids driving around a car vegeta um throws a temper tantrum over not being special now i <laughs> love this I maybe, it's maybe it's because i'm a vegeta fanboy 
but man, he's he's thinking on the line that the 18 said specifically where she's like, oh, you know, Goku's not not stronger than you. Well, I thought at least one of you were special, but I guess neither of you are. And this has him pissed. The and fact that he's literally throwing a temper tantrum over not being special is hilarious. It's so funny, but it's also so Vegeta. It's it's to me, it's comedy that's in line with his character. And I think it's so good. 100%. I mean, again, all of this ties back to the fact that Vegeta I mean, Vegeta grew up as a child hearing this legend <laughs> of the Super Saiyan and being like, Super Saiyan is the peak, the pinnacle of power. Nothing can beat a Super Saiyan. And he finally reaches that level. He beats one guy and then gets his ass beat by the very next person that he fights. Oh, and Vegeta had two chances to get revenge on on his evil tyrant, and he got neither of them. Both of them were just taken right before his own very eyes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he, after coming to the end of his tantrum, he does basically give himself a pep talk and be like, I'm Vegeta. I'm the best there ever was. I'm going to beat those androids asses and then I'm going to go kill Kakarot. <laughs> See, and that's all he needs. He never pumps himself up. So he just needed to pump himself up a little bit more. <laughs> My God. Anyway, enough with that guy. Uh, we get a scene where Krillin decides to call Balma and give her an update on the situation. But things take a very bizarre turn here during this call. Bulma confirms with Trunks that he still has his time machine, then reveals that her company was contacted about a very, very similar sounding device that looks exactly and sounds exactly like Trunks' time machine. And so they all decide to more or less meet up and investigate the strange news. Right. And Bulma was contacted specifically because the the device has the capsule corp logo on it. it it you know it turns into a little tiny capsule uh and Bama's like well you know we don't make anything like that but i do happen to know somebody who has a machine like that <laughs> yeah so it it kind of gets everyone everyone's guard is a little bit up about the situation cuz this is really weird and as far as everyone knows Trunks' time machine is the only time machine they know about. Right. And so Balma basically says like, hey, I'm going to go check this thing out. Why don't you come out there and meet me so that we can look at it together? So Trunks and Gohan fly out to the destination that Balma had indicated to them. And they do, in fact, end up finding what looks like a time machine and, you know, they're kind of thinking like, well, you know, maybe it's it's another time machine because Trunks actively pops out his capsule and sets his time machine next to it. Uh, the one that they found is, of course, covered in moss and it's a little bit beat up. But he wipes some of the moss off and reveals the word hope written on it, which was written there by his mother in the future. Yeah, so at this point, this isn't just a similar time machine. This is the same time machine as Trunks. And weirder still, this time machine, it appears to have taken damage, but 
The damage was from the inside of the time machine firing a blast through the glass dome out the top. And weirder still, there's a strange alien egg inside of it. What the <laughs> heck? Yeah, and we're we're starting to get clues and hints to what's going on here as Valma kind of like investigates the egg. But Trunks is trying to figure out like, okay, this thing landed here four years ago, which would have even been before I came back to when I defeated Frieza. So th this thing's been sitting here for four years. Like, what is going on here? And on top of that, it left from three years into the future from his future timeline. So it's from further in, into the future from where he's from. And it ended up back before the point he traveled to. There's a lot of question marks going on with this weird thing. Yeah, absolutely. And as we get to the tail end of this episode, we actually transition over to Kami's lookout where Kami is basically saying, I've been having this bad feeling for quite some time. And now I understand it's not the androids. It's whatever this creature is. And we, I mean, we almost have to kind of connect the dots ourselves as Kami's describing this creature that is far more powerful than the androids or anything they've ever encountered. And Trunks, Gohan, and Balma finding this egg and this time machine and whatever this creature is that must have come out of it. Yeah, and Piccolo's even kind of freaked out because Kame's musing all these doomsday scenarios and spouting dread and despair, and things aren't looking good. Kame is usually a little bit more put together, and so if he's warning of some greater evil, something far greater than the androids out there in the world, then he's not going to lie about that. He's, he's usually pretty accurate on these things. Yeah, and I think being given that kind of final bad omen and this this mystery, we're kind of left with that cliffhanger as the episode wraps up, uh, kind of wrapping up the end of the Android arc, and it's going to progress into the next arc moving Ooh, forward baby well we've we've got to touch on the most important part of the android arc which is what do you feel about vegeta's spotlight this uh part two of this arc i mean every moment that i had i've stopped to talk about vegeta because i love him but <laughs> i I really like his characterization in Kai. I think that they changed a lot of his dialogue for the better. I was a little bit bummed at his Super Saiyan transformation, not getting the love that I think it deserves. But I love him, you know, kind of regaining his confidence as he uh, acquires the Super Saiyan transformation. I love him beating the snot out of 19. And then that quickly turning on him to get the snot beat out of him by 18. But I particularly love his interactions with Trunks as Trunks watches Vegeta not lift a finger to save Balma and baby Trunks. And, you know, 
of course, Balma has probably told Balma from the future has probably told future trunks like, you know, uh, Vegeta's he's a proud guy. He's he's strong, uh, strong headed. But that would not in any way prepare trunks for the hot fucking mess that is his father, Vegeta. <laughs> yeah, I think I mean, I think throughout this and in the uh, history of trunks, we do get some dialogue from Balma where, you know, she's like, oh, you know, he he was proud and he he was strong headed, but you could always tell deep down he cared. That does not describe accurately this man that we just watched for the last seven episodes. He's a real bastard. He's a real piece of work when it comes to being a dad. And the moment he found out that this kid was his son, it was like, like, all right, I have to challenge him now. I have to put this kid in his place. I got to make sure he knows that I'm better than him, that I'm a superior. And it's, I mean, it, for me, it kind of drives me nuts in a good way. It's, it drives me nuts in a way where, yeah, that's exactly what that jerk would do. And I hate it. Yeah. It's, it's great character writing, great characterization. Let me float this out to you. So uh, I kind of, pointed to the fact that in my mind i think that vegeta was getting those digs in at trunks at future trunks uh because future trunks had kind of hurt vegeta's pride and made him feel small inadequate not powerful because trunks i think breathing near vegeta hurts his pride (laughs) but Vegeta basically is trying to get back at Trunks for having his pride hurt. From my perspective, do you feel like, do you think that Vegeta is also doing this as a way of raising Trunks to put it like Vegeta sees this as this is what a father should do to make his son stronger and show him how to develop as a person. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's possible, right? It's, it's possible that he's trying to push all the buttons that he knows would drive him because that's the only, he's been brought up that way, right? This is how he was brought up. He was shown his throne that he deserves. And he was always told that he has to achieve greatness and all these, I guess all these steps that he's taken in his life he's taken them because he was raised that way. He's egotistical because he's been told from birth that his birthright is to be the, the king or prince of all Saiyans and that it's, this is his race, right? He doesn't understand being raised outside of that really bizarre niche category of extreme ego. And so I guess if you're trying to push your kid, you're going to push your kid in the way that you understand, which is all right, I'm going to press the ego buttons. I'm going to push him forward that way. And I mean, if these two were together for long enough, I can only imagine that Trunks would probably start warping into being like Vegeta being raised like that. I mean, in a way, we do get to see that in in Kid Trunks. I mean, this is, of course, far in the future, but we've watched Dragon Ball Super. Uh, You do get to see what a Trunks who's raised by Vegeta looks like he is much more selfish. He is more egotistical, whereas Future Trunks is, you know, selfless. He's, I mean, in many ways, he's he's heroic. He wants to help and save people. 
kid trunks is not that at all <laughs> yeah it's it is night and day right it's kid trunks is he's a little bit of a spoiled brat and i'm yeah. glad these characters are written this way because it absolutely makes sense i mean kid trunks I mean, it's not like he's missing a meal, right? He's got probably everything he could ever want and more. And on top of that, he's hugely powerful. And most of the world's peace is maintained by all your best friends. So you got nothing to really worry about. There's no there's no real pressure on that kid. Whereas future trunks, I mean, every day is a life or, or, or death battle. Now, I will criticize Vegeta for not being able to um, empathize with uh future trunks really at all on any human level he i mean gosh he's i don't know he's like a cat or something who only knows how to talk to you in ways that cats talk like he can't see outside his own bubble like yeah sure maybe maybe in his own weird demented universe he's being kind and he's doing the right thing but oh my gosh dude like branch out a little bit i uh... I kind of love the idea that like what we're talking about it, that this is also while Vegeta is probably also trying to like stick it to trunks for, you know, hurting his pride that this is Vegeta's way of giving some sort of tough love and trying to push and raise his son, even his future son. And uh, maybe it was, that's just how Saiyans in general raise their kids. I don't know like that. That could be, culturally just what his his race did and so from a, a human perspective that probably does seem very alien and harsh and cold but from a saiyan's perspective that's just i mean that's just parenting i have no idea yeah. we've we've seen very little of king vegeta vegeta's father and their interactions so yeah you're absolutely right maybe that's exactly how king vegeta raised vegeta and you know that's he he's basically just doing what he was taught to do so and for actually if you asked vegeta he'd probably tell you that he was being nice like he held back he could have punched trunks in the the gut like a long time ago so you know he he's actually like kind of being a a soft father I and I agree. I actually really like the detail that there are multiple confrontations between Trunks and Vegeta before Vegeta lays hands on Trunks. Like Trunks pushes him to that limit. So like you said, in some ways it is Vegeta holding back or being kind. Yeah. So just to reiterate, it drives me nuts. It makes me want to scream, but it's all done correctly. Like that's all that is exactly what I would expect Vegeta to do. So it's absolutely in line in character. I probably wouldn't change much if anything. Um, but oh my God, it just, I just want to yell at my screen sometimes when I'm watching it. Yeah. I mean, to your point, Vegeta is not acting the way a, a person should act, right? Is that's, that's not how you should raise your child. That's not how you should treat another person. Even if you feel like they've, wronged you for some weird reason uh <laughs> the the reason that i like vegeta is because he's written very well to be a vastly flawed character and that that character writing at least for the most part is pretty consistent here it can be a little one-dimensional at times but i think i think if you don't look closely at these last half dozen episodes or so and see kind of the nuance that was written into Vegeta's actions. 
it would be easily missed. You would think he was just being a jerk, but it's you kind of pay attention and he's almost leading Trunks in in a direction that he would like his offspring to go. But because he's Vegeta, he has to do it in the most egotistical, brutal, sane way possible. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned it being a little one-dimensional, but yeah, like I I agree wholeheartedly with the second part that you were saying is that I feel like the more that you dig into the layers, there's so many hidden meanings and reasons behind all of Vegeta's actions here. And some of it is caring for his son in his own demented, twisted way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th this is how he shows... He didn't kill Trunks, huh? No, that's yeah. fatherly love. <laughs> But I will I will stop. I, I could talk about Vegeta all fucking day <laughs> you long. Well. <laughs> um, the just to quickly wrap up. Do you have any other thoughts about this chunk of episodes, like your general vibe for them or feel for them? The 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 pacing, the music, uh, just all of these as a whole. Um, I mean, this there wasn't actually a ton of combat um this second part of an arc but the couple scenes we did get i thought i thought it was actually very well choreographed um there's plenty of of dragon ball where it feels like there's some fillery combat where it's kind of it's half animated sort of thing where it's decent but there might be one good sequence in a 20 minute fight um most of the animations they picked out here felt like they were the best animations. I don't think we missed out on a lot and we got the full context from everything I saw. Yeah. I, I'll never say that any of these fights are some of the best fights in the series. No. But they're, uh, like you said, for the Kai versions and the Kai cuts here, the uh, most of the hits feel weighty, well animated. They're fun to watch. Uh, I mean, fucking watching again, watching Vegeta squat on 19's face is f a phenomenal highlight of this arc. <laughs> and I mean, it's it's a lot of this stuff is is setting the table and it's different measuring sticks and we're kind of getting everything ready to move forward. And so you don't need these these over the top, big, huge fights. You need fights that tell a story. And I think all the ones that we saw throughout these episodes. I think they did just that. So I, there's not much I would change. Yes. I, I very much agree with you. I think maybe Piccolo's fight with 20 is like the weakest of the fights and it maybe lasts a couple minutes. Yeah. And I mean, I love my boy Piccolo. Anytime it's not Goku fighting something and then later on Vegeta, I want to see more of it. Yeah. I mean, I can't really argue with you there. Uh, We'll get a pretty good one for that coming up here <laughs> that's shortly. True, that's so. true. Um, but I, I don't think I have a whole lot more. But I, I guess my, the music again. There were some parts where I really didn't like it. The rest of it was fairly middling, which is how it's been through most it. of Kai. Yeah. I mean, that's that's my thing. I guess the they not having theme music or a soundtrack for Vegeta's transformation. When you pointed it out that it's like a something clicked in my head, I was like, oh, that's what was missing from there. But outside of that, the music was fine. Um, man, they really should have gotten Vegeta theme music, but I think we beat that to death. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree with you though. That that is a big point for me. Um, otherwise, I I think this arc has been really really well done. There are just a few key moments that I was like, oh, that was done better in the original. Um, yeah, and that's I mean that's been fairly consistent throughout Kai where there are some big moments where they just, they don't have the same gravitas. And then there's some pacing issues that keep rearing their ugly head, but I'm kind of getting used to it at this point. And it doesn't bother me as much as it did initially. Um, I mean, I haven't noticed too many recolors that stand out as much as I did with the early ones. No, the, they, there are only a few, I think because the animation is a little bit more recent here, but yeah, I mean overall I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh I think it's a good rendition to watch. So far I so think... good. Highly recommend it. I mean, if you haven't seen Kai and you've seen original Dragon Ball, it's a great watch. Yeah. I I agree. I I think that's pretty much it. Did you have anything else you wanted to discuss here, Dayton? No, let's wrap this bad boy up. All right. That's gonna be it for this episode of Instant Transmission, where we discuss everything Dragon Ball. This has been your host, Todd. And Dayton. Be sure to join us next time as we push the Goku button Ooh. in part one of the Cell Arc. Dr. Jarose found a new home in Hiffle, while the remaining androids are on a slow and moseying trail to murder Goku. But worse than that is this mysterious person? Thing? From the future? Using Trunks' time machine? What creature could scare Kami even more than the threat of the androids? Will Goku recover from the heart virus in time to join the fight against 17 and 18? The fuck's a hell zone grenade? <laughs> Find out a next time. And to all our fellow Dragon Ball fans, stay safe out there and remember to keep rocking the dragon. Holy shit, I belly flopped that intro. <laughs> Never even noticed. You're good to go. <laughs>